Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I have Mike who is a Scottish man in New Zealand uh, and it is 11pm over there so thank you so much for joining us Mike. No worries, no worries, a pleasure. And so Mike is 324 days sober so he's going to be celebrating a year on new year's is it new year's eve or new year's day new year's day very much new year's day yes there must be a lot of people that have that soberversary so i'm so looking forward to getting into your story and learning a little bit more about you so let's jump right in tell us a bit about yourself Okay, well, um, kia ora everyone, call Mike Toko Wingawa. I'm going to use a little bit of te reo Māori. I'm going to flex that for you right now. So I'm from Littleton, Ohinahau, in um, Te Waiponamu, the South Island of Aotearoa, New Zealand. I was born and raised in the northeast of Scotland, uh, moved here in 2012. I'm an ex-musician. That's what I did by trade in Scotland before I came over here, Um since coming over here, I've been a radio presenter. I've run a charity. I've done all sorts of interesting jobs. My main thing now is I live with my wife and two children. I've got a four-year-old daughter and eight-year-old son. Um, my wife's an emergency doctor. Um, so her job kind of runs the game. So my main responsibility is being dad. Um, but I'm a serial side hustler. So I work in e-commerce. I sell... I I like to say I work in e-commerce. What's more specific is I sell competitive Rubik's Cubes and I'm very involved in competitive Rubik's Cube solving here in New Zealand um, and I guess worldwide on my YouTube channel. I also I deliver some, um, some teaching around the enterprise and business space for young people and I work for a marketing website called Neat Places as well. So I, yeah, serial side hustler is is kind of what i do and of course i run the instagram account um mike underscore is underscore sober as well which is um, a lot of fun and the podcast that's dr- that's grown out of that as well so yeah you've got a podcast yeah. too haven't you i do the sober sunday check-in it's called and we're just getting into our second season now which is good fun i'm a i'm a sort of yeah ex-musician so i studied music in uni pop popular music that was it was a lot of production a lot of engineering and all that kind of stuff so um creating content is something i really really enjoy and i'm really passionate about um so that has been that's always been a big driver for me and i've realized that i love it to the extent that i actually want to do it all the time it's taken me a while to work that out but it's what i really enjoy doing oh yeah i love that serial side hustler (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's a great phrase so let's jump into your relationship with alcohol then so that we can get that picture. Um, what was your life like with alcohol? Well, I think it's I think I may be somewhere between grey drinker and alcoholic, depending on what your definitions of both of those things are. 
I think I had a, I had a absolutely unhealthy relationship with alcohol. I was addicted to it. In my mind, I was an alcoholic, a functioning alcoholic potentially is what you could call me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've not really actually ever spoken about the, the whole story, I suppose, because it's quite a messy one and it's yeah. quite, like my life's quite messy in terms of what I've done in terms of professions and things like that. And I think my drinking's followed that pattern as well. Essentially it's been like a crescendo over 25 years with a couple of giant traumas, I suppose, thrown in there um, in the works as well, which is like embedded certain behaviors in to what I do. But I guess, is this the point where I go back to the start and we, yeah, we talk that about would be. Like yeah, let's growing do it. up and everything? Yeah, let's do it. So, I grew up in the um, in the northeast of Scotland. Inverurie is the town I'm from. Uh, and you said you got family from Scotland, so you know that part of the country? Yes, I do. It's um, I've got a family that I think my dad was born in Glasgow, but the majority of my dad's life and my childhood growing up was always in that sort of Aberdeenshire, yeah, yeah, cool. Scotland and so beautiful very beautiful um quite rural a, a lot of mm. it so I don't know whether that's uh kind of part possibly. of your story as well yeah possibly so yeah I, I guess like to summarize the start of it I suppose I started like a lot of people in my generation so I'm just about to turn 40 uh, next year so I'm a you know child of the early 80s yes and Growing up in the 80s and I suppose the 90s really was when I was coming of age, you know, that was about, that was when, it was a time when alcohol was just so ubiquitous with life in general. It was just everywhere. And my grandparents came through the sort of hospitality industry. So my mum's side of the family, my Scottish side of the family, because my dad's actually from uh, uh, Kent in England. Um, My mum's side of the family, big side of the family, big drinkers, I guess, a lot of them. Mm. I should put a disclaimer in here that I don't blame anyone. I'm yeah. not going to try and blame anyone or any situation for um, my relationship with alcohol. It's all it's all mine. I'll own it. But um, yeah, I grew up I grew up in that sort of um, that sort of environment where it was just around. There weren't any in inverted commas alcoholics in my close family that I ever knew of. Um, but it was very much. In my generation and in my peer groups, I suppose it was rite of passage stuff. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was a thing that you just were expected to do. Mm. And also, if you didn't do it, there was something wrong with you. You were a yeah. nerd or whatever. Like you just, I think a lot of it for me at the beginning started. I was quite a geeky kid, right? I was a nerd, but I didn't want to be a nerd. I've now embraced the fact that I'm a nerd and I love it. Like it's so defining about who I am, and I I really really like it. But I used I, I fought with it for so long. I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be an unpopular, dumb nerd. I wanted to be a cool kid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I really did. And that sounds so pathetic to say, but it's, uh, and it's, and it's pathetic that it's taken me a long time to work out, but it's what it was. Drinking allowed me to feel like someone else, someone that I thought was better than I actually was. Yeah. If that makes sense. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. So, and I think I've listened to quite a few episodes of your podcast and I, 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 I it really is a story that, most of the men on your podcast say like it's the same thing 
I think we've all got it. I wanted to, I was listening to Patrick's episode from the Alcohol Rethink Project. He yeah. talked specifically about um, drinking because it made him more confident speaking to girls. And I was like, hell yeah, brother, right there with you. That's yeah. all I wanted. Cause I just, I couldn't, I was like, nah, I was all tied in knots. Yeah. Just couldn't cope. I was emotionally very immature for a long time. I'm not sh- exactly sure why that is. I just, I think it's because I'm a boy basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean there is. I mean there is science around that as well, isn't there? That yeah. uh, the girls do develop at a kind of quicker rate than boys. But but yeah. also, I I, th- I think like you said that w- when you become aware, especially in your teenagers as well, when you become aware that you feel different or that you are different which is something like you say, and I think you put it so beautifully that you kind of grow into, and now you're so proud of that, you know, proud of being really different. But but back then when you're a teenager, you know, it is hard, isn't it? It is difficult yeah. to be, and to have the confidence to be different, I think, when mm. you've got all that peer pressure. Yeah, for sure. And I never, I didn't really, I wasn't a team sports kid. I never really did team sports. I was very much a solo pursuit. Like I was all about, well, I used to, I was really into painting models and things like that, but then I became a skateboarder and I was pretty good at it, actually. A skateboarder, snowboarder, I was into kind of extreme sports, which is just you and your thing expressing yourself in the yeah. best way that you can. Um, I'm skipping ahead of myself a little bit, uh, but that that sort of, that was around, oh no, it would have been about the same time as I started playing drums. So I've always been musical. I was mm. marched off to piano lessons when I was five. Um, I hated every second of it. Um, my My dad admits now that it was because he quit piano lessons when he was little that that's why I ended up there but um it's all right we've come to terms with that it's fine um <laughs> so I, I started playing piano and then I eventually I tr- my parents were so beautiful and so kind they let me try all these different instruments they put me in for a term of a French horn and they put me in for a term of trumpet and they let me try it and then I'd be like because uh, they weren't particularly musical and I think they were open to that and I eventually got an audition for drums because you had to audition for lessons when I was 11, um, when I first started high school. And they were like, yep, you'll do. And it immediately clicked as something that I was like, wow, this is incredible. I love this. I love this challenge. I love playing this thing. It's fantastic. That's, a, that's, a, that's an aside. But essentially what that led me to was playing in bands. And I joined a covers band with some kids in the year above me in high school. So what that led to was playing in pubs from the age of like, I want to say, I want to say 50. I think I was just about to turn 16 or I might have. No, I was because it was way before I was driving. We drive at the age of 17 in the UK. I was just about to turn 16 when I started playing in pubs. So I was working in pubs, playing three hour sets with these guys in the year above me who I kind of probably idolized a little bit Mm. and they as they they were a bit older and they were very much into the let's drink beers because we're in the pub kind of age and I think it was and that's that's when I started drinking regularly you know yeah yeah and that, Um, that, that environment in itself is just it's encouraging. It's going to encourage that behavior, isn't it? You I t- know. I'll tell you what. Let me tell you about the Butcher's Arms in Inverurie, okay? So that was my town I grew up in. The Butcher's Arms. We used to play there every so often. It was a bit rough, but we would play there because the, the money was good and I was trying to pay off the money that my parents had lent me to buy the drum kit. Um, but they, do you remember Hooch? Do you remember that yes. alcohol pot called Hooch? Yes, I remember Hooch sold- and, and Two Dogs. Weren't they quite similar? 
two dogs. Oh, there was a Maybe. few of them. Hey, especially yeah. back then. Yeah. Because this was very, very late 90s, just coming up to the millennium. Yeah. Um, and it, anyway, it was um, it was a pound for a bottle of hooch in the bitch's oh, arms. And because I was in the band, they would serve me over the bar. They were just like, yeah, here you go. I should, oh, yeah. shit, I've just mentioned the bar. Ah, oh, they're not going to pull them up on it 25 years <laughs> <Yeah>. later, right? <laughs> Let's hope they don't listen to this. I hope not. Well, sorry if you just got did. Sorry about <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, it was it was bottles of bottles of hooch for a We never had a problem. Any pub we played in, they were just like, here you go, lads. Yeah. There you go, you know? It was just... It was turned, just so, they turned a blind eye, didn't they? They just... Oh, it was just... It was yeah. so easy. Mm, it was. So it was available on tap to me. I was able to feel good about myself because I was the drummer in the band, you know? Mm, so these cool. two things combined was just like a little bit of a a little yeah. bit of a perfect storm for my little underdeveloped brain, you know? So yeah. that was interesting. Yeah. Um and uh, yeah, like I say, at the same time, it was giving me the confidence to feel like something more than I thought I was. It gave me this perceived value. It made me more confident to talk to girls. I was still shit at it, but I would, you know, it gave me the confidence to actually say hello. Um, and yeah, that was kind of interesting. And so after that, the pub band was cool. My my dad, bless him, would drive me around to all these gigs all over the Northeast. Like we'd play everywhere. We would sometimes do three gigs in a weekend. We'd do the lunchtime uh, on a Saturday. No, we'd do Saturday night, then we'd do lunchtime Sunday, and then we'd do dinner Sunday as well, or evening Sunday. So I was making quite good money as well. I just, I'm not, lot, I'm not, isn't it? not really fun. sure what happened to it. <laughs> I think I might have spent a lot of it on one pound bottles of hooch, <laughs> to be quite honest. But um, after that, I got into sort of original music was what I really wanted to play. So then I started getting into bands um, and doing a bit of, you know, low level touring around Scotland and recording albums and things like that. That's when it that's when probably the ego really started to kick in because we were doing, you know, we were writing songs and we were releasing music and we were out there and people were actually there to watch us and not just have us as the soundtrack to their beer drinking. Mm. So that kind of that kind of changed a few things as well. But I think what happened at that point, though, when I was starting to get older, because because I'm I'm now eighteen, we're we're going out regularly in town. I'm not living at home anymore. Um, I I'm definitely at that point in my late teens, early twenties. It's starting to become something that is more than just something I do when I go out to feel more confident. That's probably when it started the creep into mm -hmm. just like, oh, I'll get some beers tonight, hey? Um, and I was at uni at that point, you know, smoking weed and things like that was kind of fairly standard at that point as well. And um, I couldn't, I, I never did one without the other. They were always happening together. Um, I never really got super adventurous with with any other drugs really until I was sort of in my late 20s when um, MDMA um, was quite fun but um anyway that was that's uh, again i'm getting further ahead of the story mm -hmm. so I, I left school um end of fifth year went to uni it was a really bad idea crashed out six months later did the same thing again the next year in a different course and then had to be like well what am i what do i actually want to do with my life and that's when i realized that you could go to uni and do music i was like wow fucking fantastic <laughs> i could just go and like arse away four years playing drums and i i i i did and it was um I was in a relationship by that point as well with my first girlfriend. Um, spoiler alert, first trauma coming up. But um, the uh, I, I was I was in Edinburgh 
at that point. I'd moved down to the big city. Um, I was in music uni from the age of 21 to 24, 25. I had a relationship basically through that whole time. Um, and I guess at the start of my fourth year, I was, I was pretty good at uni. Like I'm probably, I'm, 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 I'm going to, what I'm going to say now, I hope it doesn't offend anyone. I'm pretty sure I've got ADHD, but I'm not diagnosed, mm. but also I can manage it pretty well. So I don't want to clog up the system by getting diagnosed. If that yeah. makes sense, my son, mm. my son has it. And from everything I've learned about him and his condition and, and the way we're managing that, I'm fairly sure I have it. Mm. So um, the reason I bring that up, that's why I was, I was good at uni assignments with a deadline. Perfect. That's what I'm after. Um, my relationship in sort of end of third year into fourth year at uni, it was an honors year. So four years got pretty dicey. Um, and um, I, I got my heart broken essentially. My girlfriend, um, Turns out she was living with someone else that I didn't know about. We'd, we'd, she'd since moved back up to Aberdeen. Um, and I got I got cheated on really comprehensively, you know? And I found out and was just like, well, cool, I never want to see you again. This, that was like after five years. Oh, um, so it was a significant relationship. And that was halfway mm-hmm. through my honors year at uni as well. Um, so that was slightly distracting. And I that was the first time that I remember using alcohol mm. to to deal with something yeah um and again i'm not blaming anyone or anything for it but i had successfully conditioned myself up to that point to know that i could numb everything that was going up up here mm. um with as much booze as i could get into me so that's what happened um to in a weird okay so here so that happened and then i sort of bounced very quickly into another relationship which did not which did not go well um because i was rebounding i was emotionally wrecked and i was just a shit human being i wasn't like terrible or like abusive or anything like that i was just shit you know mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense yeah but so- yeah it does. but somehow but somehow i managed to focus everything into like I was drinking like crazy um but I still managed to finish with a first in 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 uni like I I smashed my last year um but I was smashed all the time as well it was just like work 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 let's go drink 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 on repeat I must have been hung over just the entire year um and then the reason I brought up the ADHD stuff I finished uni and then all of a sudden I had no deadlines. I had no assignments. I had nothing to hand in. And I got really, really, I got quite depressed at that point. Um, and again, fell back on this new fantastic coping method that I'd learned, which was just drinking all the time. Um, at that point, I'm also working in lots and lots of different bands, but like subsidizing that in a job that I didn't really like, which was just admin for some, some company. It was the qualifications authority. Then the, then the, the NHS. So I, by that time, I couldn't shake it as well. It was just bedded in. It was what I did. I drank. I drank a lot all the time. Yeah. Um, I eventually, in my late twenties, met who uh, the person who is now my wife, um, Laura. Um, I'll use her name so that I don't have to say my wife all the time because it sounds real weird. But anyway, I, I met her, and that was all really good. I was in a good place. I was drinking a lot, 
But then so was she because she was in her final year, second to last year of med school. So she was still a student and that was fine. It sort of, it wasn't like, it wasn't a huge deal. Yeah. We were both kind of partying and that was fine. And I was playing lots and lots of gigs. That's how we met. Actually. I finally achieved my dream of like um, playing drums and a girl going, yes, I'll take that one, please. It finally <laughs> happened. <laughs> and I kept, and, and she was a keeper. <laughs> so, um, but, um, so yeah, that, um, where are we? That was happening. And then eventually we decided to move to New Zealand um, because my career, I was, I was heading towards 30 and the kids that were coming through in music were much, much younger than me that were having success. And I was starting to, to freak out that I would be that person in the bar aged 60 going, Oh, when I was a lad, I used to play the drums in a band. Oh, I used to do all this kind of stuff, you know, like that. Cause I'd met that person in every bar I'd played in basically. And I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. So we moved to New Zealand. Life was going on. I actually started having some success in my career. I got the job in radio, um, which was fantastic. I was working in the creative arts. I was getting lots of free tickets to gigs. People would, I wouldn't have to pay for drinks when I went to places, to bars and things like that. I was a Z-list celebrity. So that came with certain benefits, which enabled what was going on. My relationship with alcohol was definitely starting to be something that was affecting my experience of life. Um, and I think we'd probably talked about it before we had kids. I had my first, we had our first kid in 2014. Um, it was ramping up. My drinking was ramping up then because I was working in a job that I, that was particularly difficult and very, very challenging for me. Um, the old methods, they worked. So I stayed in that. Um, and, and, but I, I mean, my drinking, the old methods of coping with it worked. We had our second child and I wasn't present. I noticed how not present I was for her birth and the time when she was young in her first few months. I knew I had to quit my job. And that's when my wife's training took us up to Nelson. So for six months, I was a full stay home dad. And that's when I first did my, I, I did my first dry January then oh. because, because I was scared that I couldn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? By yeah. that point, I was I was drinking so regularly and I knew it had a hold on me that mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know if I can do a month off. And that scares the shit out of me. And I need to prove to myself that I don't have a problem because I can do this. There was an element, there was an element yeah. of that as well. So it's like, if I can do dry January, I can get back on it. So I did because yeah. my mother-in-law who comes over every summer had, had done it a few times. And um, that's when I did my first one. And then... Terry, I'll give you two guesses what happened on February the 1st. You got absolutely wasted, blacked out. Absolutely hammered. <laughs> absolutely hammered. Um, and then I did, uh, I did dry July um, yeah. later that year. And then in, yeah. in August, got absolutely hammered. Um, I kept drinking and then getting back on it worse. It yeah, was like... same. Same. It was like, yeah, it was like having a break from it was just mm. charging me up. Yeah, absolutely. And you look forward to it, right? I remember counting down the days like, thank God it's only three days yeah. before this bloody month is over and we can go out and get, you know, get wrecked. And and you're right. It's it's almost like you you slide into reward mode. God, I've done a whole mm. month off. Let me make up for that month where <laughs> I haven't yeah. had any alcohol by just going too mad. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's when 
that's when I started to realize I was like, oh, shit, I actually have an issue here. We yeah. definitely have an issue here because it wasn't like I would gradually get back onto it. I'd be on it every single day, just back to where I was at least a six pack a day, a six pack and a bottle of wine. Like mm. I was never there. Here's the problem with the word alcoholic. Okay. I was never there with the bottle of vodka and a brown paper bag because that's a myth, right? It exists, but that's not, it's not a suitable word for what the, the the condition or allergy or whatever you think it is whatever it is mm. is it's a spectrum for sure yeah but i all i know is i was drinking every day to excess mm. and i was finding myself in a perpetual hangover i wasn't i i just accepted my hangover mm. as, your as, normal. as real life like mm. that was just my normal yeah as your baseline um, mm. yeah so as I'm starting to realize this, we're getting closer and closer to the pandemic now, by the way. Um, so and, I, and I'm gonna, I've been talking for so long so far. I realized that. Um, no, it's fine. <laughs> but we're, we're nearly there. We're nearly at the end. But I um yeah, so I was doing months and months here and there, but falling back worse and worse. And then lockdown happened. Um, I was running the cube store by then. I bought the, the cube store um, on the auspicious date of the first first of march 2020 so i shipped uh shipped puzzles for 23 days and then we went into lockdown and we weren't allowed to send things in the post at that point because we didn't understand the disease fully then and we thought oh maybe it was transferred on surfaces remember that yeah so, yes, I do. I, yeah absolutely do. so the cube store is that your is that your business is it is that's that your... my that's my speed cube store yeah yeah now. okay yeah so i'd convinced my wife to let me borrow some savings out of the house and she was like yeah i trust you let's go for it um, and then, yeah, we bought it, I started and then immediately had to stop. So that was pretty stressful. Yeah. Um, guess how I dealt with it. I drank, mm. um, and I was doing a lot of, I was doing a lot of, we were, ho- then it was homeschooling. And then I was trying to homeschool Charlie, my child and, and my wife's, a, um, my wife is a critical worker, so she's not around. So it's just me and the kids, me and Charlie, who's five, and my daughter, who was a year and a half. The first lockdown was okay because we had my in-laws here and we we survived with them and it was okay. It was the second lockdown that we had in New Zealand. I had actually done my best streak ever because I'd had a little bit of a, a streak of rock bottom mirror chats, I called them to myself. I'd had a word with myself a couple of times because I, I was just smashing at this point, like tramp lagger, like Kingfisher strong, seven and a half percent lagger was my jam, a six pack of that and whatever wine was lying around leftovers. I was an absolute leftover hawk. You know, it was just no yeah. bottle was safe. I was going to finish it if it's around. And I, and I was physically, I looked like shit as well. Like I've always been pretty fit because drumming is very, very physical. And I did it for so long, so regularly. Mm. I, I was starting to get this actual beer gut. I was just like sweaty. My heart rate was high. I I wasn't impressed with what I was seeing in the mirror. So at that point, I had, I'd actually started working with my personal trainer before then, a few months before then, but I came off the alcohol came off booze completely um, for 57 days. But then the second lockdown, I survived just two or three days into lockdown. And my wife, bless her, had been in our, it's a long story. She, we have, we have two houses. It sounds really flash, but it's not as flash as it sounds, but Mm -hmm. she has, she works out of town. So we have a little house down South and that's where we decided to isolate in the second lockdown. And she had said a while back, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be real grown up if we had a drinks cabinet? Like when people turned up Mm -hmm. to visit, 
and we had like drinks in the house and we didn't have to run out to the shop to buy beers or whatever. And I was like, yeah, sure. She'd been working on that. There was bottles of rum. There was, there was vodka. There was just beers. There was loads of wine. And I ended up 57 days sober, locked down in a house. Again, she's out working and I'm at home with the kids with a again, liquor store in the house that I'm locked down in. And that was when I, that was when I crashed and felt like absolute shit about crashing. And that was, that was the last crash. Yeah. And at that point I realized. Yeah. That moderation. That's not going to happen. <sighs> I, I, it was not going to happen. So I started then I, I made, I, t- I, I did what I call making a date with sobriety. I said, Again, maybe possibly Virgo stuff, possibly ADHD stuff. I was just like, it's happening mm-hmm. on January the first. I need. I've, you know what? I've I've completely missed out something gigantic, which is um, the the death of my mate in 2016. Um, he, my best mate, um, took his own life in 2016. Oh. Um, it's very embarrassing that I left that out. Um, he dealt with some heroin addiction and very poor mental health issues that spiraled one fed the other and fed the other and fed the other. And I dealt with grief the way I knew how with whiskey. Um, and I had, I did some counseling around grief at that point. And that taught me a lot. Actually, it taught me a lot because, um, I realized that I was going to have to grieve for alcohol Mm. because, when I moved to New Zealand, stopping being a drummer was a huge identity crisis for me. And I had to deal with that. Um, and it was really hard and it took a long time. Uh, my mate Ian dying was an identity crisis. He was my best mate. Mm. I had to deal with that and I had to deal with the grief. And I realized that alcohol was part of my identity yeah. and that I was going to have to grieve for the loss of this thing that was fundamental to my existence. Yeah. If that makes sense. Oh, completely. Um, yeah, completely. So I so I set a date for quitting. I said, I'm going to go for that date. It was three months out. And I was like, I'm just going to not worry about it until then. If I need a drink, I'll drink. Mm. But I'm just going to make that my last day. And I had a lovely New Year's Eve round at my friend's house. We had some drinks. Um, it was it was really nice. Yeah. Um, little bit of little bit of um party additives as well i'm not gonna lie but it was just yeah. like it was a nice little set it was it was completely controlled yeah it was just really good mm. and it was it was like a wake yeah for, that's interesting for alcohol yeah and I, I i've never heard anyone i can't recommend that because i only have my own experience i should yeah. say i'm not a doctor or a psychologist i'm yeah. none of those things <laughs> but <Yeah>. same <laughs> but that's that's how it ended for me yeah. was um i set a date to quit i gave myself a break i stopped being so mean to myself and beating myself up for all the past failures in inverted commas um and i quit on january the first i woke up and i went right we're done that was it we've said wow. our goodbyes you know yeah that's amazing how, how did it feel i know you had a good night on that new year's eve how did you feel about that impending, you know, date? Was was there relief? Was there fear? Was there, there was hope? there was re- I was excited for it. Yeah, I was excited for it. I really was, and I, I could have. It's stupid. It's arbitrary. I could have quit a week before. I could have quit two weeks before. 
but I, I yeah. just needed to have a run into it. I needed to have it locked in in my diary for just like, okay, it's like when your kids got a dummy and you set some date for when, right, they've got to quit it, but they can't have it at school. Oh my God, what if they go to school and they've still got a dummy? So you set a date and you work up to it and you talk to the kid about it, you explain it. And then when it's gone, you've dealt, you've dealt with the tantrum. Yes. Yeah. If the dummy fairy. We had, we had the dummy fairy. Yeah, yeah same. Yeah. And the, bo- the bottle fairy as well. The bottle fairy yeah. came and took yeah. all the bottles away. It was, I had to do that to myself. Yeah. To, to cope, I guess. Or to, so to you, understand, to grieve. Did you do any preparation for it or did you literally just not focus on it until the day you woke up and... I did a bit of reading. It. Right. I did a bit of reading. I actually, I talked about it on the podcast the other day. I talked about the movie, The Fighter. I'm fairly sure it's called The Fighter. Um, it's got Tom, not Tom Holland, Tom Hardy, Hanson oh, Tom yes. Hardy in it. Yes. And um, it's him and his, he plays a character whose brother, him and his brother are fighters and they have a dad who's an alcoholic and they have a terrible argument. Has it got Mark Wahlberg in it? It it might have Mark Wahlberg in it. It might. Yeah. I'm going to have to look at it. I've I've been scared to watch it. I've been scared to watch it ever since because it made me howl like a wounded animal. I was so heartbroken by this movie because it was all about alcohol and the relationship breakdown between a father and son. Right. interesting I, I couldn't take it so that was one that got me um and then i ended up reading an abridged ver- or listening to an abridged version of holly whittaker um uh, quit like a woman yeah i've always enjoyed reading textbooks um by women they generally tend to make a lot more sense to me um because there's no there's no macho in it um interesting and I, I find them really i find them a lot easier and that's in like quitlet or um business books anything about sales or like so mums write a lot of books right about being at home with the kids and writing a side hustle and Mm. that's what I do (laughs) you know so yeah it was really good um so yeah I read I read a bit yeah I can't remember if I'd started looking at sober Instagram by that point but I got pretty into sober Instagram pretty fast because I realized that I was the only one doing it in my sort of friend group and I needed to have some people around me. So, yeah. So I guess that's, I guess that's the story. Hey. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, there's so, there's so much in there that you could understand why alcohol became that crutch for you. And I think that's what's kind of really nice about talking through people's stories and histories is that it's not like you listen to a story like that and, and think, God, I can't understand why you drank though. <laughs> like <laughs> from a so almost like from a validation point of view, like you can understand why you would, you know, feel maybe shy or different at school with, you know, with women and yeah, alcohol ticks those social lubricant boxes really well, you know, and it, yeah. it provides comfort and it provides escapism and it does take you, I mean, scientifically it completely takes you out of your own head so i mean we, we we're all starting to learn more about the brain science around what actually happens and how it shuts certain parts of the brain down and it's just so it is easy i think to see why in our world when we've got challenges or difficulties or we have moments of trauma why alcohol kind of filled that void so um i always think it's not something that we should 
feel ashamed of at the end of the day it did it did a job very well but unfortunately oh, yeah. the cost is too big right and that's where <sighs> that's where the the disconnect comes in and that you start to pay a bigger price for what you're getting out of it and it's obviously yeah. not not healthy is it? it's not as healthy <laughs> relying on alcohol as it is learning to cope but you know we could go a bit more into that in a moment but i i one of the things that i um i'm seeing quite a lot on my feeds and what's kind of coming up in my my group as well is this whole thing around not having any developed coping mechanisms when you stop drinking you know i stopped drinking when i was 41 and it was only really in that kind of first year or so that i started realizing oh my god i don't know how to cope with anything because <laughs> i hadn't developed or learned any yeah. coping skills there is a there's a definite feeling in the first three months of what the fuck do I do now? You know, like what what do you do? Run for cover. <laughs> well, yeah, you yeah. you I did a lot of I did a lot of hiding. I yeah. took myself away from the pub and 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 you know, just didn't spend time with with a lot of my mates um in that first three months, you know? Just yeah. I just went went into hiding. Yes. So talking about that first kind of 100 days or so, so I know you read a little bit of Quitlet and you got into um, social sober social media, which is life-changing, I think. What else yeah. did you do? What did you do to support yourself? And what did you notice particularly in that first 100 days? Well, um, I did, I think... I told, and what's interesting, right, is I think I told my wife I was doing dry January again, but I think I told myself I'm going further than dry January, though I'm actually going to roll it over this time. Yeah, It's taken me a while to realize the more self-development I've done, it takes you a while to realize that actually you're done. You're just done for good. I think I'm done. It's a very hard thing for people to understand, to say that, nah, I'm done. I, what I've... I like to tell people I went, you know, there's that meme that goes around. I went pro too early and went pro too young and had a life-changing injury. I went yeah. pro on drinking just too young and I've done, I've done a lifetime worth of drinking and I'm over it. Yeah. Um, I, what was the question? Advice on the first hundred days or my yeah, experience? No, so, so it's kind days? of, yeah. What did you do to support yourself in that first hundred days? And what, yeah. What was it like? I, I drank a lot of alcohol-free beers because yeah. I realized that it was such a physical habit to go to the fridge and grab something cold that isn't Coke or lemonade or something like that. Um, I've ranted and, and raved a lot on social media about um, about how important I think alcohol-free drinks are and how lucky we are that they're actually not complete shite now as well. Like they're so good. Mm -hmm. They're so good compared to what they used to be. Yeah. I, I leaned heavily on those. I, well, here's, so here's the thing. So the 1st of January is midsummer here in New Zealand. Okay. So it's barbecue season. Mm -hmm. It's beach time. It's, it's a difficult time, just as difficult as Christmas in the UK when you're inside and all you want is mulled wine and, and whatever. Yeah. But it's, it's difficult over here. So we actually went up to, we went up north on a holiday about two weeks into January up to this, oh, just heaven on earth, um, a place called Golden Bay, Tata Beach. Um, and I was up there with my wife and uh, my mates who I'd actually spent New Year with, they were up there as well with their with their kids too, house that was right on the beach. They were all they were all drinking, 
like not to excess, they're all grown-ups who drink like grown-ups. I don't know how they do it, but they managed to do it. But um, that was that was challenging, but I got through it with alcohol-free beers. But when I was up there, I was watching like a hawk every single sunset. And I was talking to myself every time I saw the sun go down. And I was like, you're going to remember that sunset. Wow. You're going to remember that sunset tomorrow. You're going to remember this in three months' time. There's nothing happening right now, but you're going to remember this. Yeah. yeah it, it, does that, if that makes sense, you know, yeah. I wasn't blacking out because, yeah, it was a big, I, I drank to go to sleep a lot. You yes. know, that was the thing. So what, I mean, that I think that's really lovely, actually. You're, um, you're guiding yourself there um, mm. into being completely present in that moment. It's like, watch there was a lot sunset, of that. Watch this sunset, like remember yeah. it, like take it all in. And I do think that, um, and especially when we drink, right? So, but I do think that we're just, we're not in the present <laughs> so much nah. of the time. We're just not, we're not appreciating, like, we, we don't smell the coffee. We're just like, da, 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 going a million miles an hour, or we're, our mind is, you know, often uh, preoccupied with thoughts of the Friday that we're looking forward to and what we're doing and what we're wearing and where we're going and what we're going to drink and da-da, or are we mm. going to drink tonight? And if we drink tonight, can we make sure we don't drink too much? And will we get, you know, blah, blah, blah. I just, there's so much internal drivel. It's <laughs> exhausting. It is really exhausting. And when you stop drinking and that goes away, you just have all this time and you have to find ways of spending that time. And I think you just notice more and you just, you feel more, obviously, which can be a bit, you know, good and bad. Um, but you tough. notice more. And I think that is something, and I really relate to that because I tried to do that, not with Amazing Sunsets, because um, I don't get to see loads of amazing sunsets at the moment, sadly, with, <laughs> with all my children that are in bed by a sort of six, seven. And but yeah. you know, I, 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 you know, at some point in my life, I will go back to that. But yeah, I mean, certainly, just for me, I love noticing nature, whatever it is. So you know, spring. Look at all the new flowers. And if I'm walking down the yeah. street and I see flowers growing, or the, the sky, you know, just all those sorts of things. It's a similar thing to your saying. I just think it's having that awareness mm. of what's going on around you. And I think that is really simple to start doing that, but so effective. I, I really yeah. do think that that is really effective. So that sounds absolutely lovely. And it's obviously something that helped to anchor you in that, in that moment where you're thrust straight into heavy social situation, you know, that is yeah. not easy when you're trying but to I think, I, I think the technique I've talked about, which is setting a date for sobriety, I think that set me up for success in that because you can, so I do a lot of mental prep. I've talked to you about um, some recent flights. So well, I, I, before we started recording, I've, well, I'm mm. sure we'll get there. I took some flights home recently, long haul with my kids um, on my own with my kids. And every time I've flown with the kids, I've done like a, a really quite a long amount of mental visualization and preparation, planning for the worst and hoping for the best, essentially, because then you're never disappointed, right? Yeah. So I, 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 that's essentially what I was doing for the three months before I went sober. I was going, every time I was having a drink, I was like, well, how do I do what I'm doing right now without this drink? Like how, uh, and I'm, I was visualizing everything. Um, and 
that I I really truly think that set me up for the long for the long haul because I'd never done that before. Yeah, I'd always been like, oh, dry January, I probably should. Oh, dry July, yeah, yes. I probably should. Yeah, probably should. Yeah. But I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic, but I'll do dry <laughs> July because I'm yeah. shit scared that I can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you touched on a really really uh, big point there. I think mindset is oh, it's such a big part. I think in starting that sobriety journey on on the right foot if you can get your mindset into a I'm going to do this and okay maybe I don't have all the tools and I don't know exactly how it's going to go but I'm going to do everything in my power to get there or to learn what I need to do and it's just having that it's been mentioned on this podcast before but you know having that laser focus on it Mm. like this is my thing now this is this is what I'm doing. No excuses. Yes, I'm going to feel cravings, right? How do I get around these cravings? You know, and just finding out all of the info. But yeah, yeah. I think mindset carries you a lot of the way into the journey of being successful. I really, I really truly believe that. One, th- one thing I'd add as well, that everyone that was on that holiday on the second half of January, that, that everyone that was there, they all knew that I was off it. And they all supported the fact that I was off it. They were just like, yeah, yeah do nice. your thing. If that's what you're doing, then do yeah. you. The, the people that I'd spent hog, uh, that I'd spent Hogmanay and New Year's Eve with, uh, I'd, I'd said they're the same people who were on that holiday. They knew on New Year's Eve, they knew that that was my last night on it. So yeah. I think that was kind of a, that was kind of a thing as well. And I, yeah. and I, I, I drank and that's the, here's the thing, right. And here's the thing that I look back on. And sometimes I'll be like, maybe, I, maybe I'll be all right. Maybe I'll be okay, but I but I'm managing to hold that at bay at the moment. I'm managing to I, I understand yeah. my relationship with alcohol is toxic and I can't go back to it. But mm. on that night, I drank relatively sensibly. I drank nice things like an adult. Yeah. But I know that that was make-believe. Yes. It was a fairy tale because I'd set it up to be a fairy tale. Mm. But that was how I left it on a good note. You know what I mean? I didn't wake up in my car crashed into a lamppost. I didn't. And that's why, that's why my story is not as dramatic necessarily, because I don't have that rock bottom, Mm. which a lot of stories do have. I didn't go to jail. I didn't, Mm. I didn't, I didn't wreck something. I wrecked a few nights. I wrecked a bunch of nights, but I didn't hurt anyone or myself and then go, Oh, I should stop now. And, and, and no disrespect to anyone who has ended like that. Like that's Mm. devastating. But um, mine was measured and it was so calculated, you know? Yeah. And I think I, I, I find that so fascinating, actually, because it is different to my story. And like you say, um, a, a lot of stories, even if it's not a big kind of rock bottom, just that kind of, almost like mental rock bottom. Like for me, I just, oh, had, yeah. I just had one night out too many, like where I went too crazy and... And I did stupid things and I blacked out and I woke up the next day and I just mentally, I was so exhausted with it. And I thought, I I just can't do this anymore. Mm. Um, And that was kind of my version, but I'd had many like you had had many previous kind of car crash situations or just nightmare situations where I just, I probably should have stopped, but, but I didn't. Mm. Um, But I think what's quite interesting about um, your story uh, is that it's going to give hope to people that can't get to that kind of mental exhaustion 
point or if, if you know what I mean like they, do, they really want to stop mm. drinking and they just don't really know how hopefully somebody will hear this and just think well maybe I'll just do that what he did maybe I'll just say so. right this is it I'm just going to get to new year or you know whatever and I'm going to stop drinking and do a bit of prep do some reading maybe listen to a podcast maybe explore sober Instagram because I've noticed that there are a lot more sober curious people coming into my um sort of dms and on my feed yeah. where they're not at the point where they just think that drinking is getting a bit annoying but they're not quite at that yeah. like you know what i mean and they're not at that sort of like that's it i i, I want to stop and I, it's fascinated me that some people have come in to my feed and have said i stumbled on your account I wasn't even looking to stop drinking and yet I've just celebrated 40 days without alcohol or something. And I'm like, wow, that's mm. so, so unbelievably powerful. So if you are, you know, if you are finding that you want to get to that point, then maybe this route is the way for you. And that's what I really love about your story. Cause I haven't heard that story on this show. So it's quite unique, but it makes sense. Yeah, cool. And I wonder whether if I'm being honest, if I hadn't got to that point where you know, I knew deep down in my soul that I, that drinking was always going to be a problem for me if I didn't stop. And mm. I think there was a part of me that just wanted to, wanted to be able to stop, but I was so frightened of it. Um, if I'd listened to this podcast and listened to you, I'm the sort, I'm quite similar to you in that I like to have targets and things and I like to yes. have, I just do. <laughs> I just, I, I operate well in that situation. I think I would do the same. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I don't know if it made sense, kind of a little bit of a long way around of explaining it. No, though. no, I think so. Yeah, it's, um, I, I don't think, it, I'm not sure, like I said, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not sure if it's an approved method. All I know is that it's the method that's worked for me. And I tried six times, you know? Yeah. Um, And then this time I just went, okay, let's take a different approach. And um, yeah, and this is, and this is where we've got yeah. to nearly, nearly a year in. So yeah, I'm looking forward. I still feel like such a noob, you know, like such a, such a newbie. Like, and I, th I feel like until you've got years, then what authority, do you know what I mean? You, how much authority do you have until you've got a year or two, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but that's, again, that's just me assigning arbitrary numbers to things, which is what I do. Yes. There is no rule. <laughs> no, no, but there isn't. And that I think that's what's lovely about it. You know, you are giving back to the community and, you know, that's making you feel good. And you and that's what I always try to do as well. I always I always try very hard to avoid people how how to tell them how to do sobriety. That's not my yeah. vibe at all. For me, it's about this is my story and this is what I did or this is what worked for me and yeah yeah if you take something from that amazing but um yeah i mean i i know i know what you mean but, but i also think as well that over time that voice gets clearer and stronger and then when you oh. get like two years in and then three years in i think you just you you do get so much more confidence in 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 that voice um but yeah. i think a year is amazing like seriously there are some people that would just be giving their right arm probably to have nearly a year well i can't i can barely <laughs> i can barely believe it i can barely believe i've nearly made a year and it's funny it is a long game like even yeah. in the the short time i've been doing it like i've seen some of the some of the peaks and troughs of it now 
because it is day by day, but it's also much, much bigger than that. I've I've seen the dip at three months where you're like, well, what am I doing? This is bullshit. And I've seen the peak at six months where you're just like, this is the, this is amazing. This is amazing. Yeah. Why have I, why did I ever drink? What am I doing? The yeah. pink, the pink haze, they call it the pink cloud or something. Yes. The pink cloud. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, got absolutely. Absolutely euphoric. Bang on schedule. Just, just, uh, just around July. It was just like, oh, Th- th- I think I became a bit insufferable at that point, actually, because I was just like, Laura, come on, let's let's just just be alcohol free. It's going to be fine. She was like, no, nah, you yeah. get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, I have a similar story in that I just I think in the first year, I just couldn't stop talking about Sprite with my husband. Bless him. He's got to be careful. So many hours of listening to me <laughs> go on about what I've learned and this amazing new bit of information and this is new feeling yeah. that I feel. <laughs> I think he's just he was so he was so over it by a year really, I think. Um so what would you say has been what's been the most difficult bit for you in getting sober? Oh, far right. I tell you what, this can this can just be summarized into this year. This year has been the most difficult bit about getting sober for me. And what I mean by that is just challenges that have like big life changing stuff has come up this year in my life that back two years ago would have been whiskey town a hundred percent would have been whiskey town so my grandfather my mom's dad passed away in um in february late february um and we had a zoom funeral because i was in new zealand i couldn't get back for that one and we still i don't think we had open borders at that point so I wouldn't have been able to get back in the country or, or it would have been very difficult and it would have also been very, very expensive, which is a terrible reason to not go to a funeral far out. But like, it was just impossible, essentially, is what I was saying. It wasn't possible. So I did his funeral by Zoom. Um, as part of that, um, my younger brother, who still lives in the UK near my parents, uh, he... Um, my my grandfather he, he took a fall in his home he was 96 96 or 97 he was very old took a fall and he was there for a few hours before the ambulance found him and i was talking to my brother on the phone on on whatsapp and um we we're just chatting away about some bits and pieces getting helping mom and dad get stuff out of the house all this kind of stuff and he started talking about having to take the carpets out and i was like what do you mean what are, what are you talking about why do they have to take the carpets out like completely stupid not realizing that this poor old man had been on the floor for two hours and as soon as I said it, I was like, wow, that was a stupid thing to say. And my, my brother just broke down. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time I've ever heard my brother cry as an adult. Um, he had been carrying all this stuff in his head and being mm-hmm. so strong for my mom that he hadn't had a chance to process a single emotion. And I was at a campsite here in New Zealand um, with um, my family and a bunch of other families and stuff like that. Those arseholes took a bottle of whiskey with them, really nice whiskey. So they were they were drinking whiskeys um in the in the campsite while I was going, whoo, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And then I and, and I'm, then I'm taking that phone call and I was like, this is fucking rubbish. Um because there's a spe- there's a very unique feeling of uselessness in that situation where you're on the other side of the world as well. Mm-hmm. So Essentially, what I'm what I'm saying is, yeah, my my I, I lost my granddad in February, and there was some 
and, and it was just it was as traumatic as losing a grandparent is you know he was he was our last one you know our last grandparent for me and my brother um not long after that um my mum was diagnosed with um with pancreatic cancer so that was in may oh god um and that's a particularly gnarly cancer um is my i didn't know anything about cancer to be honest i've never dealt with it in my life before but obviously my wife's in the in the industry as it was so mm. she was explaining to me that it's pretty much a game over cancer when they find it it's always too late uh, and my mom wasn't in great health so she went on a pretty rapid decline i did manage to get back in june on my own to to see her and i didn't no, I was saying goodbye, but I had a bit of a feeling I was saying goodbye. Um, after I came away from that, um, she, so I was back in Scotland, just hammering into the Guinness zeros. My dad wasn't drinking at the time and I was staying with my mum and dad. He wasn't drinking because he was kind of on call as it were for driving her into the hospital if anything went wrong. Um, she passed away on, uh, September the 18th. Um, definitely faster than we all thought it would be um and then um so that and that was the first time i'd ever seen my dad cry um you know so that was rough um and by that point i think i was deep enough into my sobriety like i say i was getting the six month kind of hype and i knew that i was on the right track and then i was like fuck you universe i know what you're up to i know what you're trying to do i know what you're trying to make me do but i'm not having it because i can't have it mm. um because i know where it goes and this is already gonna be one of the hardest things i've ever dealt with I don't want to deal with it with a head full of whiskey. I want to be straight for this and I want to be able to process it as it comes, as the grief comes. It's a strange kind of grief in, um, in, in a cancer diagnosis as well, especially one that's terminal when you get it. Um, because in a strange way, I had a lot of similarities with my lead up to quitting drinking because it was, I'd done a lot of the prep. I'd done a lot of the grieving already before mm -hmm. she died. Um, so, and I'd sat with it then. So I was like, I, I did it then. I did it when, after the diagnosis, I worked through that so I can work through this. So obviously after that funeral, I went back to Scotland for four weeks on my own with the kids, long haul travel with a four-year-old and an eight-year-old was pretty gnarly already uh but without you know and then there's no alcohol free drinks on planes mm. that just doesn't it doesn't exist not even a bex blue i would have given my right leg for a dirty bex blue on any of those flights but it just wasn't happening and i got real close i got real close to breaking on the flight home because my daughter was just giving me arseholes on this one flight she was just really grinding me and I nearly, I so nearly, I started, I'm not a great writer, but I've started writing a blog about it 
I think I'd like to, I like the idea of writing a book. I'd like to do it one day, but I don't know if I have the patience, but anyway, I start, I just had to write it down. I had to write this thing down what I was feeling. Cause I was just, uh, I, I'd almost formed the W with my lips to say, yeah, whiskey, let's go. Um, wow. but, uh, and that was, that was the closest I've been. It wasn't at mom's funeral. It wasn't at the wake afterwards. It was on the plane home getting, getting the short shift from a four-year-old girl. <laughs> yeah, but that you can understand. So first of all, can I just say I'm really sorry to hear of your losses. That's uh, thank a you. lot of stuff to have to deal with in life in general. But then to do that in your first year of being sober, I mean, you are seriously strong and very brave. And I didn't know I was. I didn't yeah. know. I had no idea. I had no idea that I could do that, you know. But it, it, but you did, you know. Yeah. So you know that is so special that you you managed to get through all of that stuff. And to be honest, the, the four year old, I mean, four ages, you know. <laughs> I've had two of those as well. I know, I know how crazy Ooh. they can be. But four ages are, you know, a, they're a special breed. Mm. <laughs> and to you know that you can see how the build up of all of those difficult moments. And that tension and just that, you know, that fly on the way home, that was obviously you just got to your snapping point. And mm. that is is so difficult when you are in that situation where you're trying not to drink. You know, your your brain is probably in that situation. It's just telling you, just, you know, go and have it. You'll be fine, you know. Mm. <laughs> so you're fighting all of those thoughts away as well. The fact that you didn't break i mean to be honest if you can get through that and maybe you have this feeling but if you can get through that all those things all those uniquely bad situations that happened pretty much at once really then you can you can do anything i feel like it's given me this year has given me like a suit of armor yeah you know what i mean hmm. like it's no what whatever turns up tomorrow whatever bullshit turns up tomorrow well, first of all, when you have a death like that to someone close to you in the family, things that would cause you stress two weeks ago actually don't even touch you anymore because you're just like, I don't care. Nobody's died. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Thing. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And, um, and I've managed to hold on to that feeling quite strongly. I think, you know what I mean? When anything comes up where I'm just like, Oh, a drink, it'd be nice though. I'm just like, no, come on now. Yeah. You did that. You did yeah. that, but you can't deal with an RC email from yeah. some customer. That's 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 going to push you over the edge now. After this yeah. year, you're going to let someone's attitude push you over the edge. No, yeah. no, 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 no. It's so that's true, not going to happen, isn't it? It's you know those those are life defining moments. They create a strong reference point, don't they, for you? Like you say, yeah. is anything ever going to be as bad as those things that happened? Because they because they're really like they're some of life's most toughest moments hmm. um and yeah the fact the fact that you have got that kind of in your pocket now if you like that's, that's yeah it that's, is like that's positive isn't it that's going to see you through some i mean i i think personally as well anyway that, that you you get the year in i think for me the last craving i personally had where i just thought oh god i'd really you know i'd love that glass of rosé or whatever was about 18 months in if I'm being honest for me personally I mean I know everyone's timelines are yeah. different but 
after that point, I don't think I've ever had that again. I've not had yeah, that wow. I, because I think that, well, well and I'm, I'm learning a lot about this at the moment. So I'm trying to learn more about the brain science side of things, but you know, the more connections that you make, like the connections that you just went through where you got through a difficult moment without alcohol, you teach yourself or you strengthen that little connection in your brain that says, I can do this on my own without alcohol. And so the more that you have that, the more repetitive that action is, the more the old connections go for the whiskey, the more that they fade into the background to the point where they actually become non-existent. So for me now, it's, you know, people will say, oh, would you you know, would you have a, would you just not love to have a drink on Christmas Eve, you know? And if, and I just ah. think, no, I I, I, ne- I honestly never think, God, I wish I could have a glass of red wine with this Sunday roast. It'd make it a lot better. You know, I ne- just never, I just don't think about it. And I think that's purely because I've just practiced new connections enough times now that the that's old right. connections just, they just don't, I don't park my car there anymore, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, you're you're reversing the, you're reversing a bad habit, right? I got yeah, this bad habit right. over 20, over 20 years. Mm. I reckon it's going to take me 20 years to, to fully break it. And I'm okay with that. Like, that's mm. fine. I, that, that thing you just said, you know, um, how did you phrase it? I, I thought popped into my head. It sounded very wise and I've forgotten it, but you said, <laughs> would you not just, would you not just like to have a drink on Christmas Eve? That's what you said. Yes. And I was like, no, I, I, I really like not having a drink. Yes. Now yes that's where i'm getting to it's just like no yes. i bloody love not having a drink i know because you can't it's it's hard to describe i think particularly for people that are in the very early days and of course they are they are at the bottom of the mountain looking up you know yeah, but you're yeah. like halfway and i'm just over halfway or whatever where we are it doesn't really matter but we're mm. not at the bottom of the mountain looking up anymore and so for me i have learned to really love being inside myself completely chemical free. Like I love being in a situation yeah. where I'm switched on. I've not got a, um, you know, I'm not, I, I haven't got to overly, I haven't got to work hard to think of things. So, you know, it, I'm just naturally there in that moment, having a conversation, enjoying listening um, maybe making a joke or two, bad one perhaps, but you know, and then I go to bed and I can remember the evening. It's just like, it's like living in HD. For me, mm. I would hate that feeling of when I've got that first glass of wine in, I start to feel all a bit floaty and woozy. I don't like that feeling anymore. I don't want to feel that way. And it, then it, it's, it's, it's just weird, isn't it? It's just weird how you sort of you change, I think on that front that that first drink feeling is it terrifies me now because i know yeah. i know that means i'm done it means yes. i'm done for the day it yeah. means i'm gone we're we're done this day yes. whatever was happening today it's yeah. over because now we're drinking let's yeah. go yeah and that that was how i was it was the i talked some people talk about the a tipping point it's just like a couple of beers and then I'll, maybe i'll get on it or like if i have one i'm fine i can go home it's the first sip of the yeah. first drink whatever it is i'm done and yeah. I know that for a fact, you know. Yes. So I can't. I can't have it. You can't. Yeah. And I'm. 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 I'm exactly the same. I think for me, I would even go as far as saying it's just the thought of having it means I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I'm getting excited about it, you know. And then that's just that's just game over, really, for me. Mm. Um. So just flipping it, what has been the what has been the best thing for you about being sober? The best, 
the best thing has been my ability to actually get things done because there are more hours in the day. Yeah. And I, I mean that sincerely. There are more hours in my day now that I've quit drinking than there were before. Yeah. Cause look true. at it. It's, it's quite, so it's quarter past midnight here in New Zealand. Now, if I like, if, if, <laughs> If I had been drinking, like, well, I couldn't have scheduled something like this for quarter past midnight and done it sober. Not a chance. No. Like, it just couldn't have happened. Couldn't have happened. And I, I, again, with the drinking at home, you know, it's just like, if you have beers with dinner, then it's just like, okay, beers while we're bathing the kids and stuff like that. It's just, mm. you're, you're done. There is, your evening doesn't exist. When your life is run by kids, especially, mm. you know, when, when, there's this dead zone between five and eight or nine when it's just like nothing happens then because you're just trying to get these arseholes fed and into bed. Like <laughs> that, that is the job and there is no room for anything else. Yeah. Um, then your evening time is so precious after that because yeah. you might want to sit down and just listen to your thoughts or you might want to not listen to your thoughts and do a thing yeah. or, or whatever. But if it, but when I, when I was drinking, it was just like, well, I would just, waste time yeah the time i wasted if i if i i'm terrified to even try and add it up over the 20 20 years or whatever i was drinking but it's like so much time and so much potential lost yeah Yeah. so yeah the 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 best and and being able to manage projects i can do that a lot better because you can you can see big picture better when it's not hangover haze yeah do you know yeah, what I mean? It's like, absolutely. so I, I like wear glasses, but it's like I've put on an extra pair of glasses and it's just like, whoa, I can really, I can really see stuff now, you know, it's <laughs> like the that. matrix. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, it's so true. Uh, I'd never really thought about that before, actually, about adding up the time you waste. That would be a frightening number. Yeah. Cause we add up the cost and we add yeah, up the days, we don't, we don't add up, we don't the, day, add up the, the time. Days yeah. I might do that. Um, so we're nearly at the end uh what would be your top three tips on living sober free um living sober free living alcohol free even living alcohol free (laughs) there we go (laughs) my top tips for living um alcohol free so i would say okay and this sounds this sounds silly and it sounds flippant but go deep on instagram go deep into sober instagram you need cheerleaders we talked about this again on my podcast the other day uh, i was talking to abby actually who yes. has been on your podcast that's yes. when i first came across her i think it was the first episode i heard of yours i can't remember how this but the stars aligned and the first episode of yours i heard was abby slosh to sober on instagram yes. and i'm connected with her and we were talking about it the other day and because she's quite um secluded where she is she's not got many sober people around her in her life and we were talking about instagram and chris strong voice was on the live at the same time and we were all just going it i don't think we could have done this without instagram for real like it, it is not an exaggeration to say that instagram has been one of the most important things to me in staying sober for this length of time it should not be it cannot be underestimated how important that is so if you're thinking about if you're thinking that that might be an idea but maybe you're scared because you don't want to be that guy that nags everyone on your instagram about getting sober as well you don't want to be a sober bore nobody likes that person (laughs) 
You don't want to, you don't, you don't, you don't want to be a vegan about it. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Okay, you don't want to jam it down everyone's throat. I would genuinely consider making make another account, make a sober yes. account, and just be yeah. accountable there. Be yeah. anonymous if you want to, but just follow lo- all the sober accounts you can find. Um, number two is, I suppose, I've always. I've always been a fan whenever I've given up smoking or anything in the past of having something else to do with your hands or something else to do in the meantime, when you're trying to give up the thing that is addictive. So when you're trying to give up the thing that is addictive, which is alcohol, you are going to need something that replaces Mm. that experience. And that for me has been alcohol-free drinks, alcohol-free beers, especially for me. Um, And now that I've just discovered that they're not complete shite, alcohol-free spirits as well, because there's a whiskey by Liars, which is real. I saw you flexing some Liars stuff on your story. Yes, yeah. Uh, that yeah. that um, that Aperol Spritz. Oh my um, god, it's so tasty. Alternative. Yeah. Is it good? Because I, I love, love it. Spritz. I, okay. So, do you know what? I think I don't know how I missed the Aperol Spritz train, but no, I, nobody was drinking that when I was still drinking, and this is only just over three and a half years ago but I swear people weren't really drinking it then so when I went to Covent Garden in the summer there were all there was this big outdoor Aperol spritz bar with all the orange umbrellas and everyone's drinking these orange drinks and I was just like oh my god what is that I don't know what it is and I obviously had missed out on that flavor but the Liars Aperol Spritz is, I mean, I, I can't tell you if it tastes like Aperol Spritz because I've never tasted it, but I, it I'm is. Gonna have to, I'm going to have to give it a go. I'll let you know because yeah. it's quite, it's, it's, it's a quite quite a unique flavor. It's got this big, deep, bitter flavor in it. Yeah, it's, it's quite bitter. Yeah, it's quite yeah. bitter. So, yeah. And it's like, it's a, it's a sort of liqueur that you mix with, um, with fizzy wine, I guess. But there's decent fizzy, there's decent alcohol-free fizzy wine. Yeah, and now apparently there is a decent Aperol alternative, so I'm excited to have a go at that. Yes, um, I think I'll do what you did, and I'll give, I'll get myself a, a nice order in for Christmas, and try and, yes. and that'll see me through. I've so, got yeah. so many drinks to get through. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. and and the third one, this this one's extra cheesy as well because it's just based on my own experience and I'm not, I'm not someone who's particularly spiritual or religious or anything like that. So that stuff doesn't really go for me, but what I would say is, um, I think from my experience, you need to, so make a date with sobriety. Can I have four, make a date with sobriety. I've talked about that one already, but this one is relates to that. And that is believe in your sober self yeah. Because you will take it from me, from the experience I've had this year, you have no idea how powerful your sober self is. Because the stuff I've been through this year, I I, I couldn't have imagined myself getting through it with alcohol. And it turns out I managed to do it without it. So your potential as a sober person, if you are someone who has a troublesome relationship with alcohol, if you were addicted to alcohol, mm. like I was, you cannot comprehend the potential that your sober self has waiting for you. Once you, once you let it rip, you know, once you, once you let it out, I suppose would be my last one. That's quite profound, wasn't it? 
Oh, I think it was beautiful. And I agree. Surprised myself. Yeah, I agree with it wholeheartedly. I think that we are capable of amazing things. And we don't, I think we underestimate our power. So I agree, I agree completely with you. And it's only when you try to do something that's really out of your comfort zone and you succeed, can you really appreciate how bloody powerful you are? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think that's a really, really lovely way to end the podcast. And I'm conscious that it is nearly half past midnight for you. <laughs> and, uh, I would be like, yeah, falling falling asleep by now. So I do really appreciate it so much. Where can we find you? Just remind people of your Insta handle and all the places that we can find you. So on Instagram, I'm Mike is sober. That's Mike underscore is underscore sober. My podcast is called the Sober Sunday Check-In. You can find that in all the usual podcast places. And you can join in with the recording of the podcast every Sunday night, New Zealand time at 9 p.m. That's currently 9 a.m. Sorry, 8 a.m. UK time on a Sunday morning. So it's a bit early at the moment because we switch between 11 and 13 hours. But yeah, I record the podcast on Instagram live uh, and then I turn it into a podcast. We had this season, we had strong voice, Chris, who's amazing. We had him on for his, why was he on? It was his birthday. That's right. We had him on for his birthday for episode one. Then we had uh, Slosh to Sober on for episode two. Next week, next week I've got Megan, Meg Undressed and then... I'm sober, hon. We've got Abby Feltham this season as well. So we've got a few got a few hammers coming through this season. Yeah. I'm quite excited, actually. Absolutely. Um, you got a great lineup. So, mm, yeah. That's going to be fun. Maybe I'll be on it as well at some point. Hey, so look, I'm, I'm, booking, I'm booking season three right now. Love it. We Love it. Make it happen. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Listen, thank you so much for your story for staying up late, uh, for coming on last minute, really everything. It's been wonderful to get to know you and it's been a really, really rewarding chat and I think it will help a lot of people. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you to everybody else. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.